Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven and eight figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, a part of the amazing FBA family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven figure exit and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Today's episode is sponsored by the new e-commerce podcast, The E-Commerce Leader, co-hosted by myself, Michael Vizi, and Jason Miles, top 1% Shopify store owner and Unimi's highest rated e-commerce instructor. If you're the owner of a thriving e-commerce business, look for The E-Commerce Leader on your favorite podcast app and subscribe today. As an e-commerce merchant, you know just how important easy and secure payments are. With today's sponsor, Payoneer, you can get paid by a variety of marketplaces in multiple foreign currencies, just as if you had a local bank account. You can also pay your suppliers and VAT directly from your earnings. Receiving and making international payments has never been so simple. And with the Payoneer mobile app, it's even easier. Do your online store or business a favor and register today at payoneer.com forward slash amazing FBA. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the 10K Collective, the place to be for six, seven and eight figure Amazon sellers. And if you're watching on video, it says British Amazon sellers above my head. Actually, I'm going to have to get rid of that because these days, actually for the longest time, lots and lots of Americans listening as well as people in various places like Germany, Canada, India, what have you. So you're very welcome to the show. And today I've got Steve Anderson, author of The Bezos Letters, come back to visit with us, as the Americans would say. He's the author of The Bezos Letters, which is 14 principles to grow your business like Amazon. And given that Amazon's growing like crazy and Jeff Bezos is by far the richest person in the world, sounds like a great thing to follow. So Steve Warm, welcome back to the show. Michael, thanks for having me back. It's uh, always been a great conversation talking with you. Yeah, likewise. And I know that you've recently been talking some very eminent podcasts. I know that you were recently on uh, one of the podcasts run by Kevin Harrington and Seth Green. So Kevin Harrington, one of the nicer sharks, I would say, from Shark Tank (laughs) and and obviously a very serious business person and influencer. So congratulations on, you know, hitting some great heights there. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So we talked ages ago with you about this. And obviously, there's lots and lots to take in board. 14 principles. There's a lot there. And just give us the sort of highlights of what the basics are of the Bezos letters before we dive into today's topic, which is about dynamic invention, which is a really cool topic. So again, just a quick reminder, at least the book in the book, I took the letters to shareholders that Jeff Bezos has written starting in 1997. And now actually the latest letter is 2019, which we don't address in the book, but, and did a deep dive analysis of kind of what's in there. And, and what I realized in that research was that Jeff Bezos had hidden in plain sight in his letters, his plan for growing Amazon. And he's executed that plan. I think we could agree quite well (laughs) over the last now 26 years that Amazon's been around. So 14 principles that are growth principles that I believe Amazon has used during that time to grow that I uh, absolutely am convinced, probably more convinced now than when the the book was actually published, that these principles uh, can apply to virtually any business, be it a nonprofit, you know, e-commerce, you know, pick brick and mortar, pick your business. Obviously, there's a little change here and there. So I've categorized the 14 principles into four cycles, test, build, 
accelerate and scale. And I believe businesses are always going through those cycles, depending on kind of where they're at. Certainly test phases, if you're a new business, you're starting out, but even an existing business has part of their business in the test phase. If you're coming up with a new product, a new platform, a new idea, new something, you're going to be testing it first. So that's how they're grouped and categorized from, again, the, the shareholder letters. It's very interesting. I mean, what that makes me think of is, I suppose I've always had the slightly skeptical but open listener in mind who's the, the classic person that would be a 10K Collective Mastermind member, which is hence the name of the podcast. And I guess they're always a bit wary of theory, but open to it in case it might be the key that unlocks things. So Jeff Bezos is interesting in that regard in that he was one of the first people to hire Jim Collins on the back of whichever it was, Good to Great, I think. That, that Good to Great, the, it was, yeah. The flywheel in, uh, principle, right? He, he, yep. was, he was open to the idea that a theory could apply to something and make a difference practically and hit the bottom line. And he actually said he thinks that's kind of part of their secret source. So interesting how theory abstract as it may be can can really make a massive difference on the business right? yeah and you know again the good to great book uh, jim collins wrote uh, was actually published in october of 2000 and collins was invited to amazon t- for a day training to their senior leadership team on the flywheel concept specifically and and that's when you can actually go on Amazon's site, there's still a sketch there of that original flywheel that those senior leaders wrote out or, or designed or drew that I believe still runs Amazon today. I mean, that's that idea is still all these years later, you know, core to what Amazon does and how they do it. Interesting. So really, and by the way, that is principle number six is understand your flywheel, right? As a business owner. Great. Well, we ought to do another podcast on that then, because I think the flywheel concept is fascinating. I'm just going to tease that up now. But I guess we're going to talk about your principle number three, which is practice dynamic invention and innovation. Just before we get into that, I suppose we ought to just give a, I'm not a very big fan of, of this lazy interviewing, just tell us about your biography, but just like a potted one minute version of who Steve Anderson is for people who haven't come across you before. Most of my career has been in the insurance industry in the U.S., and the last 25 years, I have focused on technology and how insurance agents and brokers can use it to interact with their customers, sell more, all of those kinds of things. And that's really what led me to kind of this idea for the book, because a few years ago, because technology continues to develop so rapidly... I asked the question, is the biggest risk a business faces actually not taking enough risk? And I believe that is the case today. And my research in that concept led me to Amazon as actually, uh, I call Jeff Bezos the master of risk because how he uses risk strategically and intentionally. And in fact, one of the interesting phrases he uses is when businesses get bigger they tend to have unthoughtful risk aversion. So again, what's the other side to that, right? Thoughtful risk-taking. And that whole idea of risk certainly resonates because of the insurance background I have. 
That's excellent. So I suppose the reason I'm very open to lots of business ideas, I'm one of those people that kind of falls in love with ideas a bit too easily, really. And I guess the shiny object syndrome is always out there to trip Mm -hmm. us up. But the reason I think it's a really healthy discussion, if you like, to to have you on, first of all, you're massively outside the Amazon um, echo chamber, which my my friend Will Chern, and he's right inside it, calls it. So it's not just the same idea being recycled around all the podcasts, which I think is great. And the second thing is you are a professional in the realm of risk, I guess, because that's the whole point of insurance. If you you under price a risk and you get the insurance premium wrong, I guess you go broke and if you overprice it then the insurance premium is not competitive right so you you are by the nature of your profession is all about risk and I I really love that that idea that the biggest risk is not taking enough risk and when I reflect on some of the people that have done really really well over a long time period like at least a 10-year period in some cases a generations that actually that balance between just steady same old same old and innovation has actually been very striking feature that the people that i know have gone out of business sadly more than one they either take uncontrolled risks or they don't they just do the same old same old and in a very dynamic marketplace like amazon that means you can get out of business by being you know out of date within a year it's not subtle it's a super fast version of that you know that risk if you like right exactly so having established that you are the man for the hour, I, I think we should talk about principle number three, which is uh, practice dynamic invention and innovation. Sounds very cool. What, what does that mean in more simple terms? Well, I think, in, I mean, I, I think many people, I won't say most, but I think many people understand that Amazon, one of their core strengths is coming up with new ideas, new things. I mean, even, even marketplace, right? At the time, in the early 2000s, that idea of allowing third-party non-Amazon products on Amazon's most valuable real estate, their website, was crazy. Why would you let your competitor sell on your website? So right there, that is thinking differently really inventing a new way to sell. And frankly, most businesses haven't taken that idea, but Amazon has, and whatever numbers you know are accurate, a large portion of sales on Amazon come from third-party sellers, right? That's where that's where your audience, you know, that's that's who they are, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And by the way, it's got to be around the 50% mark. And and the numbers obviously aren't in for 2020, but I wouldn't be surprised if they're even higher now because uh, obviously, that's a kind of infinitely expandable. Well, not infinitely, <laughs> but up to right. the point where Amazon can service them. Whereas, uh, obviously, Amazon's as a first party seller, you know, not done famously as well as the third party sellers. I believe that Jeff Bezos's exact phrase in one of his letters to Shatters is third party sellers are kicking our first party butt. So yes. <laughs> clearly, that's, that's in the 2018 true. letter. Exactly. You know right. it well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, well, so they're obviously known as an innovator or an inventor. Now, before we go further, I know for you that the distinction between the words innovation and invention is something you're kind of toying with recently. What what do you think the difference is, and how does that help in a practical sense? That this idea of you know companies need to innovate is all over. You know, you you read about it. All kinds of different companies say we need to innovate, and I think for Amazon, that's not how they think. They need, they, what they do, and and this is Bezos' phrase, is we invent on behalf of the customer. And so Amazon's an invention factory. Uh, And there there have been several examples like that over, you know, the years. The first one that I've done a bit of research into is Thomas Edison, right? Light bulb, all, all the inventions and patents he put together. 
he actually had a team of 35 people whose job was to experiment to find out in the light bulb case. He did not invent the light bulb. He invented or found the best element that gave the light bulb the longest lifespan for the least amount of money. So he iterated that light bulb, but he did that by experimenting with hundreds of different types of filaments in order to find the exact right one. So I think the process is experimentation leads to invention, which allows you to innovate. And as a result of that inventing, that's where disruption comes in. So that's sort of that the, the, the invention, innovation, disruption. Disruption is a result of innovation. Amazon doesn't find an industry and say, hey, we're going to go disrupt that industry. They find a problem, probably a customer-focused problem, and then they invent a different experience on behalf of the customer. The result of that is disruption, but it's not the goal. Very interesting. Yeah. And I suppose disrupting a marketplace implies that you're focused on the marketplace, which I suppose is, is uh, yeah, blend between where the customers and, and the competition or the suppliers meet, isn't it? Whereas if you're focused on the customer, I guess you're less worried about the marketplace for your goods. And, and it's true that, yeah, they are known as a disruptor, actually. But I guess, in other words, another way of putting it is if your bonds are noble and it's 1995, five or six or something then you see amazon come along they look like they're out to get you and that makes sense because they right. kind of have but actually that's not their focus right they're not actually get you there to try something out in case it works for the customers yeah and and, and again when we think about their customer obsession right which is one of the principles principle number four their, their focus is always on how can we create a better experience for the customer well books became their first you know step into that and and what they realized is with the internet is they could have a bookshelf that was literally unlimited versus a Waterstone or a Barnes and Noble, you know, kind of normal box, big box store, bookstore. They at most could carry 150 to 175,000 books, right? So Amazon, did they disrupt them? I don't, they didn't start out to do that, but they just, they started out saying, hey, we can have every book published available for anyone to buy when they want. Absolutely. Yeah. So I guess the next logical question is, how do we go about it? Now, I know you've got a, something called the invention tool set, uh, which is your part of your answer. So tell us about that. How, what does that consist of? Yeah. So I, there are several things that Amazon uses internally to to continue this mindset of experimentation and invention and the, and the first one is what i call meaningful differentiation and that really comes out of the 2006 letter where bezos addresses the question of when are you going to open physical stores right so he's getting this question about physical stores. That's sort of a natural thought process. And what he says is in that letter, and it, 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 I won't, obviously won't have time to go through kind of all the points, but there are about four points there in terms of low capital, high returns, high margins, you know, and he basically says, retail fails all of our tests so far, meaning the marketplace is huge, right? But he goes on to say, 
the potential size of the network of physical stores is exciting. However, we don't know how to do it with low capital and high returns. So, so they're not going to go into some place that they can't have the high returns. And, and then he goes on to say, physical world retailing is a cagey and ancient business. It's already well served. And we don't have any ideas for how to build a physical world store experience that's meaningfully differentiated for customers. So that's 2006, right? Amazing. Yeah. I mean, and, and yeah. So anyway, I get excited about some of these because it, it just the mindset and yeah. the thought process to me is so intriguing, so counterintuitive. And I love that a cagey and ancient business, right? Yeah. We don't know how to do better. So we're not going to go fight, right? The competition if we don't know how to do it better. Interesting. And, and I just wanted to say that. This could apply to any level of business. And I really think that if you're just starting out and wanting, if, if there's somebody listening, this is geared to the six, seven, eight figure Amazon sellers or e-commerce sellers. But if you're listening and you happen to be just starting out from scratch, I think the idea of going, it's already well served. We cannot, you know, basically serve it better, how to create a meaningful difference. And I would say to anyone, if you're trying to go into a product space, if you're totally new and you cannot create a meaningful difference and it's already well served, then don't go into it. And it's kind of obvious thing to say, but that's a real discipline that or finding very hard to where, do that. Yeah, finding where you can. So let me give you a quick mm -hmm. example because I've, yeah. I've started to do a bit more research on just this concept. So I actually don't know if it's in the UK or not, but Square is a payment processor. If they, they, they came out with this little device that plugged into your iPhone that would be a credit card reader. And it was it, it was Square was really designed for a marketplace that was not served by the traditional credit card processing services. So Square did not disrupt credit card processing, but they identified a niche that was hard to serve that they were able to use invention to figure out a way to serve. And that marketplace was the he, here in the States, it's the farmer's market. It's the, it's the small, you know, individual retailer that needed to take payment, but had complicated ways to do it. And, and there were great barriers. And so it's, it's the merchant who charges under a hundred thousand dollars a year that that was their market. They were able to create a meaningful, different experience for that vendor and created a, a very large business out of it. Interesting. And the, the UK equivalent that I've seen in similar, like sort of recent shops or like single store shops rather than sort of retail chains or stores, I guess we call it, is Zettle, which does exactly the same job. Yes. For some reason, so Square kind of, doesn't seem to have spread here, but it's the same basic idea. Yeah. Yeah, so, exactly. So again, looking at, is there a market that's not being served that has a need that you can create a process or a way to serve? Absolutely. Now, coming back to the bookstore idea, I know that fast forward to 2015, things have changed a bit with Jeff Bezos's views on, on physical stores. Now we're talking about in 2020, which gives an extra whole spin again. But what's your take so, on, on that? So, you know, so Amazon now has several different retail store concepts. That's how I would say it. The first was Amazon Books and opened in uh, Seattle in 2015. A bookstore that uh, was Amazon for Amazon. Now, again, what's the difference? Well, it's smaller. 
it has less inventory than a Barnes and Noble here or Waterstone in UK. And a couple things that are different. One is you don't go into an Amazon bookstore knowing what book you want to get it. What do you do? You just order it and have it delivered. You go into an Amazon bookstore to find out the next book you might want to read. And so a couple things are different. One is every book, I'm going to rephrase that because they've changed that a little bit now. Uh, 90% of the books on shelves are cover out, not spine out. Because what they discovered is customers like seeing the book cover. You know, it's more attractive. Whereas if you go in, at least in Barnes and Noble here, or I suspect in Waterstone, most, I would say 95% of the books are spine out. So all you see is this little spine. It's really hard to, to either find a book or to even see what the book is about. So that's different. They also have localized content. So in the bookstore, there's now a bookstore here in Nashville where I'm located. That bookstore there has Nashville, what Nashville is reading. So all the popular books from the local area. And, you know, I know for the little I know about Waterstone, that's one of the things that they have been able to do to really turn that chain around. And now that they bought Barnes and Noble here in the U.S., I'll be interested in seeing how successful they are doing that same thing. But focus on local, not big national, you know, some headquarter person deciding what inventory is going to be there. And again, with Amazon, they have all of that information. The other thing is to get into an Amazon bookstore, you have to have a 4.5 rating or higher. So every book in the store is a highly rated book on Amazon, the online version of Amazon. And they have barcodes you can scan with your phone to get read the reviews of the book and write all kinds of ways to interact with that. Excellent. So they've that finally found a way. It's funny that it comes back to books, right? That it's, uh, it's sort of cycling it? right back. I yeah. love it. I mean, it's right right back to the mid-90s. They've gone 20 years later, they finally decided they could make a meaningful different bookstore. But you're quite right about the thing about books on the shelves that cover <laughs> out, not spine out. It sounds like a small thing, but actually, I guess when you shop on Amazon, you see the covers and you, you get see, the You always see the covers. And right? when you shop in, in Waterstones locally, I can attest that the one in Hampstead in North London is absolutely you know 90% spine out instead and it's completely different you're quite right right because they they have space constraints that amazon doesn't right yeah interesting and so i guess everyone everyone thinks about amazon as a retail store and then they go and invent aws if that's the right thing that the amazon web services and that's a big percentage of their business now and then everyone thinks of them as an online business and then they go and create physical stores which actually integrate with online right i mean it just goes to show that you never quite know where amazon's going to go next for sure Exactly. And and one of the other aspects with all of their physical locations is they also are return centers. So you can, if you have if an online product that you want uh, need to return, you can take it there and they handle all of the returns. 
Very sensible. Yeah. So there's yeah. a real integration with the rest of the operation. And also, yeah, I guess they've, they've taken the learnings. It kind of sounds simple enough, but it's funny that it took people who are the sharpest guys on the planet about this stuff 20 yeah. years to figure it out, right? I guess <laughs> sometimes the seemingly obvious is, is not obvious until it's in retrospect. And I guess that's one innovation and, you know, trying stuff out. It, I guess that it turns out there is always a difference between the theory and the practice, right? So. Correct. And again, Amazon experiments a lot. Mm. So one of their other store concepts is called an Amazon four star store. So kind of similar to the bookstore, but it's more of a variety store. So it has kitchen stuff and a wider selection of types, not just books. But for a product to be in that four star store, it has to be rated four stars or higher on Amazon. So again, kind of integrating online, you can buy it there, you can order it, et cetera. But the one that I is most intriguing to me is called the Amazon Go, G-O, store. And I don't believe there are any outside the U.S. yet, but I'm not positive of that. So Amazon Go is a convenience store, 1,500 square feet, kind of a normal walk-in, chips, cookies, drinks, maybe pre-made sandwiches in Amazon Go's case, ready to cook meals, right, that you can go in and take. What's different is they had the goal with Amazon Go to remove the biggest friction in retail shopping. And you can think about what that might be, but it's checkout. Okay. Yeah. Right? I, I don't, I, maybe you've had some good experience checking out at the grocery store or the supermarket or someplace, but in my case, I can absolutely guarantee that you should never get in the line behind me because it's going to be the slowest checkout option that's available. Yeah. And so what a Go store does is you have an app that you scan kind of subway style doors to get in, you have to scan the app, it opens the door, you go in, and and then, and actually, I'm going to get a prop here, uh, if people can see, because I've done this, you, you, you know, get a bag, like you normally would, but you can see here, just walk out shopping, there is no checkout, you literally just walk out, And the store in the ceiling has cameras and machine vision and uh, machine learning and all kinds of technology that tracks you, what you pick off the shelf and put in your basket and what you actually walk out of the store with. And five minutes later, you get an email with a receipt. Yeah, that's amazing. (laughs) And literally, you feel like you're shoplifting. I mean, it's just that kind of weird experience, right? I love it. Like the the, the innovation is let's let's create an experience that feels like shoplifting, but is actually legal, and we make money from it. But <laughs> but it's but what I love about it is just flips traditional retail on its head. I mean, if I want to go into my local Tesco store, then I guess now they've been queues because of COVID, and you have to have a mask on, and so they've got a guy at the door. So it feels a bit more like that what you're describing. But it's easy yeah. to get in. But do you want to get out with the stuff? My God, you got to suffer, as you say. And this flips it on its head, like you got to scan to get in but then you just walk out i mean it's just so counterintuitive and yeah yeah it, it makes total sense to me and also i and think for me i i have i'm done with i like i like interactions with people that are meaningful like this i love it I, i'm quite a people person in some ways but i have no interest ever in getting on the phone to somebody to solve a banking issue if it's going to end up with them getting on a computer i have no interest with interacting with the cashier if it's just to get the stuff because i want to get out 
and right. therefore that that whole there's an interaction there which is doesn't add value and adds friction right whereas I always feel like if you're going to have an interaction, it's got to add value. And and some businesses do a good job of that and some don't. For example, the shop assistant who knows about books and is excited about them, adding value, right? Uh, Somebody exactly. who can go beep, beep, beep with three things. Not so much, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, and they've taken that concept from a small, right, convenience store kind of thing. And they've now opened in Seattle, Washington, the first Amazon Go grocery store, which is about 10,000 square feet and has produce and, you know, kind of more of a, a normal supermarket grocery store type of situation. But again, using that same technology. But then here's kind of the maybe the third step is they are licensing their technology to other retailers that are interested in implementing it. So again, for Amazon, it's not about, you know, beating the competition. It like marketplace, right? It's about, hey, we've created this technology. It works really well. You can license it from us. We'll make money on the licensing and we're not competing, right? And so make it available in a, a wider uh, area. Very interesting. And, and it's interesting talking about Shark Tank. I'm always very struck that Mr. Wonderful, that the grumpiest guy probably, but a sharp guy, is always wanting to take some kind of deal where he'll take 7% royalty or some kind of licensing type deal. And that always strikes me as a really smart thing because we all know that physical inventory is a pain. And if you're going to own a retail store, it's going to be expensive. And there are various ways of getting around that. The franchise model, like... Um, which is basically a form of licensing, actually, isn't it? The right. McDonald's exactly. model gets yep. around that. Because I remember someone saying to Ray Kroc, you know, you're in the hamburger business, right? And he said, no, we're in the real estate business. Exactly. And I, you know, because that's that's the barrier. And I guess that Amazon's, you know, AWS is another example of that, the third-party marketplace, the actual thing of developing something that works and then kind of sharing it but kind of not as generously as it seems. That <laughs> well, seems to be the Amazon way. Know, you know, that's always yeah. an interesting balance there, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, yeah. I, I, you often find that Amazon ends up taking the majority of the profits that they license something and they take 7% of your gross each year. If you analyze your figures, you may find that that's just about your net profit margin. <laughs> I don't right. know how it works. I mean, but on the other hand, you know, look, as, as a way of doing things, I guess bringing it back to e-commerce, I mean, so this stuff, the, 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 the thing that can blur things, I think for people, listening and like okay i'm an e-commerce seller how the heck do i make something of this i think the first thing is never mind the fact that it's amazon doing it and they happen to also be in the e-commerce sphere i think it's the basic principles that matter right so the idea of meaningful differentiation or don't go into the market being really focused on the customer re redeploying some of the data they've got elsewhere for example the online stores giving them all the average ratings and redeploying that in a physical environment those are sorts of principles that i believe that we could all you know take into our shopify stores or you know even our amazon and products or stores as well. Thanks so much for listening to today's show with Steve Anderson, the author of The Bezos Letters, 14 Principles to Grow Your Business Like Amazon. I hope you found it as interesting as I did. I really think this is way um, the way I would love to go with the show. I think that the here's what I've done, just go do it thing is very valuable for quick wins and low hanging fruit. And there's nothing wrong with getting low hanging fruit when it's available. Don't get me wrong. But what I think is great about the 10K Collective podcast and the way we're going with it is to get you to think strategically. Now, there is nothing more strategic than really Jeff Bezos, I think. There's no person, no way of being. There's more strategic. And I hope you found that interesting that there's the, the four cycles of test, build, accelerate and scale. And that test 
thing, that experimentation and innovation and invention that Amazon's famous for is really uh, very much a spur to all of us to try and apply that in our own businesses. I just really encourage you, if you're listening and you find this thought-provoking, but then you're going like, now what do I do with this? To go and try and apply these principles that you've heard from Steve. So today we heard about invention versus innovation and really invention on behalf of the customer, as Jeff Bezos puts it. So what could you be trying to experiment with creating for your customers, whether that's customers because you sell physical widgets on Amazon? What could you invent for them? Literally invent a widget, invent a physical process, um, invent a way of doing customer service that doesn't just involve Amazon. Maybe you even send them you know, some innovative way of contacting them, whatever it might be. And then to be willing to experiment and Again, this customer obsession thing has come up, which Jeff Bezos is famous for and Amazon's famous for. And then this meaningful differentiation idea as well. And I guess, yes, Jeff Bezos does it with physical ghost stores and the other types of stores they're using. But how could you do that in your business? How could you be different in a meaningful way, whether that's simply just making your physical products different from the competition or an entire way of doing business? You could be on Amazon, but not limited to Amazon and and find cool ways to delight your customer. And that's something we've all got to be thinking about. And so I hope this has been a spur to thinking. Um, I really would encourage you to buy the book. I read it as a preparation for our podcast interview last year when I spoke to Steve in 2019. And I really think it's more relevant than ever. In crazy times, there is crazy downsides and risks and threats, but there's also crazy levels of opportunity right now. But the e-commerce marketplace is more crowded than ever. So I think there's more reason than ever to consider innovating and being bold and taking calculated risks, which I think is really the message that Steve was giving us today, which is great stuff, really exciting and thought-provoking. Next interview with Steve is uh, we talk about the other parts of the innovation toolkit or invention toolkit, I should say, the six-part narrative that um, the famous memos that Jeff Bezos insists that everyone has these days and how the power of that works. And then intuition and the power of wondering, you know, not being directive, which is so counterintuitive for any business growth advice. So I hope you'll stay tuned for that. In the meantime, don't forget to check out Steve's book. Um, it's really the best way to deal with it. He's also got some useful stuff at uh, the... Oh, bugger. What's it called? If you go to thebezosletters.com, Steve's also got some really great tools for helping you to implement the learnings from the book, which I think is the key thing. If you apply this stuff, it will actually make a difference to your business. Always interested to hear from you as well. If you want to email me, michael at amazingfba.com with your thoughts about this podcast episode and what thoughts it's provoked for you, whether you agree or disagree, it's always interesting. And don't forget to join the conversation at the Facebook group, amazingfba.com forward slash FBF as in face, B as in book and come and join about 1800 people there now um, discussing things, Amazon um, advanced and simple as well. But I'd love to hear your thoughts about this as well there or indeed just come and ask a question if you have a particular issue you want to address meanwhile thank you very much for listening i really appreciate your attention speak to you in the next show thanks so much for listening to the 10k collective podcast part of the family of amazing fba podcasts 
Today's episode is sponsored by the new e-commerce podcast, The E-Commerce Leader. The podcast is hosted by yours truly and Jason Miles, multi-million dollar Shopify owner and Unimi's highest rated e-commerce instructor. If you're the owner of a thriving online business and you want to become the best e-commerce leader you can be, it's got your name on it. For free guides and mini courses on many topics, go to www.theecommerceleader.com.